But right now, it's time to go to work in the Word of God. And if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, Matthew 10, 34. There's an outline in your bulletin. You might want to find that, pull it out. might help you track along a little bit this morning with where we are. Here at Three Crosses, we love letting the Word of God set the agenda, and we submit ourselves to the Word of God. And it's an important distinction for all of us to recognize that we come this morning with needs, we come with things in our lives, but we now, at this point, we submit ourselves to what the Scripture teaches us. And I'm a mouthpiece, I'm one who is called to preach the Word of God, but I'm a fallible human being, as you know, some of you know more than others, and it's a beautiful thing to come and exposit God's Word, but we listen for the Spirit of God and what He wants to say to us, amen? So listen very carefully this morning. We're in a little part of the Gospel of Matthew that is what I would call the hard sayings of Jesus. And I thought about this all week long, thinking about where we were last week, where Jesus said, you will be hated on account of me. And how oftentimes we, are, uh, we, we feel like, well, wow, this is such a different message than what we hear. And frankly, I'm a little embarrassed that we sometimes feel like this is such a contrary message to what we're used to. And I think the problem is, is the church in general, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, has become so soft and so uh, pleasure-oriented that, we, that when we hear teachings like Jesus is giving to us last week and this week, we, we kind of feel like it's counter, like it, it doesn't fit into the matrix of, of what the ministry is about. And that's an indictment on us. That's an indictment on the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's so much positivity that's being proclaimed out there in the, in the name of the gospel. And that really the gospel, the essence of the gospel is you having your dream met and, and God fulfilling what you want to do in your life. And it's all upside down. It's completely backwards to what the scriptures teach to us. That a follower of Jesus Christ is, is a slave of Christ. I mean, we, and I mean that in a, in a powerful, beautiful way, that we commit ourselves to the one who is sovereign over all things and his authority reigns in our hearts and lives. And re, do you know why the world is so confused about Christianity? The world is confused about Christianity because we're not living the call of the gospel in our lives. I mean, that's the reality, and I confess that to you as, as I hope you will acknowledge that in your own hearts, that we have not been faithful to the, the true teaching of Scripture that calls us to absolute surrender and obedience. And so Jesus tells his disciples, um, I'm sending you out as, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Anybody feel like a sheep this week in the midst of wolves? Anger and frustration, people ready to jump you because of your belief in Jesus Christ. Well, maybe we haven't experienced that. And maybe that's because we really work hard at cultivating with people and building trust with people. But sooner or later, we're going to come across individuals who, who we feel like they just hate us. <laughs> but we have to remember in those moments that they really don't hate us. They hate the one we serve. And we happen to be standing in the way. And that's why Jesus said, matter-of-factly, here in Matthew 10, that you will be hated. And I'm going to send you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So I want you to be shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. I want you to be so strong, but I want you to be so soft. I want you to be a person that loves radically and accepts radically and is willing to pay the price at times for being connected with me. And what we learned in this text this morning, we're going to jump right into it, we need to, 
um, is, is nothing short of radical faith. And, and actually, it's, it's actually not radical. I shouldn't even say it's radical. It's, it's normal, and we're not radical. You know, we're, we're sort of soft on the side of what this teaching is today, typically. See what you think. Let's hear what Jesus had to say. This is Jesus. Can I remind you? Jesus. Verse 34. Do not sp- suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth. He will not certainly lose his reward. Wow. Well, those first two paragraphs are probably like an uh, OO paragraph because there's some really hard teaching there. And then the last paragraph is sort of a huh kind of paragraph because you're not quite sure what it means. Now, this morning, I'm going to take these three paragraphs and I want to give to you what I believe they're all about. And of course, probably not all of what they're about because we don't have time. But I'll give you what I can. And I'm going to outline this this morning with what I'm calling a picture of clarity for all of us in terms of the gospel. And I need clarity, you need clarity. And this this passage is all about clarity. It's, It's helping us as followers of Jesus to clarify the stuff that goes on in our lives. And... I think clarity uh, is what the church of Jesus Christ needs today. I can't think of a more, I said it last week, a more important section of scripture to be in than where we are right now. And so these, I'm going to give you three points this morning, and I know this is a homiletic device for preachers. You know, you give three points in a poem, you know, that's that's what people are used to. But I have to give three points because each paragraph has a main idea that all focuses on this one big picture of clarity. And so let's begin by looking at the first paragraph, verses 34 through 36. We discover there that ministry clarity depends on making the right assumptions. Say the word assumptions. Now, we all make assumptions, right? I mean, everybody has assumptions. Uh, We make bad assumptions sometimes. I, I assumed once a woman was pregnant and I didn't discover she wasn't until I asked her when she was due. That's, that's a bad assumption to make. But we make assumptions about lots of things. We make assumptions about the way marriage is going to work out before we get married, right? And then we get married and we discover some things that we assumed are not true. Uh, Or we make uh, an assumption about relationships. Or we make assumptions about uh, jobs and careers. We make assumptions about churches, don't we? We make assumptions about pastors. We make assumptions about everybody. I mean, I assume, I make assumptions as a pastor. I assume that my sermon today will make perfect sense to everyone here. And that all of us will be transformed by it. That's an assumption I'm making, but that's probably not an accurate assumption. Uh, We might assume that if we raise our kids in a Christian home and teach them Christian values, our children will 
one day, if they aren't now, completely give their lives and, and live their lives to the glory of God forever. That's an assumption that we make. Some of us make an assumption that if we follow Jesus and we stay in line with his will as best we know how, that everything uh, good is going to happen to our lives. Or in other words, nothing bad is ever going to take place. And so people, as they go through their spiritual journey, as they carry these assumptions, sometimes when what happens around them isn't what they assumed would take place, they sort of like want to push back. And this is exactly what's happening with what Jesus is telling his disciples. Can I point you to those three little words that this paragraph starts with? Do not suppose. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Wrong assumptions in ministry can lead to disappointment. When we assume wrongly, we are eventually going to be disappointed. Now, what is the point Jesus is making? Do not suppose. So he's telling his disciples, look, you guys probably and the people that you're going to be ministering to, no doubt are going to believe that The Son of Man has come to bring peace on earth. Everybody wants peace, right? And the people in Jesus' day believed that Messiah, when Messiah would come, he would finally establish peace. The Jewish people would finally be rid of the oppressive government authorities that they were under, Rome, and that Jesus, or Messiah rather, Messiah would set up his earthly kingdom and would reign forever and ever. The Jewish people were so excited and so yearning and so waiting for this moment. And so here was Jesus as Messiah, and he's teaching his disciples, and he's saying, look, now it's your turn. Go out and start ministering. But he says, here's something you really need to know. Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace. I'm going to bring peace. Messiah will bring peace on the earth, but there's going to be a whole lot of problems before that day comes. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be a walk to a cross. There's going to be bloodshed, Jesus speaking, my blood. There's going to be suffering and anguish for the peace of the world to be brought to those who need peace. And even here we are 2,000 years later and we're still waiting for the, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ to land on this world and yet here we are in a spiritual kingdom and we're dealing with spiritual warfare and we're going out in the world and so often, don't you find people are saying, if God is so loving, why all the junk in this world? Where's the peace that all the, you, know, you as Christians are telling us we should anticipate? Listen, Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. Listen, I have not come essentially to bring a panacea of peace over people's world We do know the gospel brings peace. Let's talk about the gospel for a minute. What does Romans 5.1 say? Having been justified by faith, we have what? Do you know that verse? Having been justified by faith, we have... Wow, you don't know this verse? (laughs) Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Can we say that together? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Wow. We need to teach through the book of Romans. Or you were just thinking I was going to fill in the blank. I don't know. That's a cardinal verse of our our life. That we have been made peace with God. That's the gospel. Because before that happens, we are at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. We don't like hearing that, but that's the truth. We push God away. Romans 3 says there's no one that loves God. Nobody that follows after God. Nobody in their heart just decides, oh, I think I'm going to love God. Any desire toward God, any commitment to God is the enablement of grace that God alone can do in the heart of a sinner. 
And until we get that down right, we just, we're messed up in the world. We look at people as good and bad and, and we judge them with things that we don't realize we're either, we're either an enemy of God or we're a friend of God. Which are you? If you're an enemy of God, you hear this morning the invitation of the gospel that says, lay down your arms. You don't have to be at enmity with God because having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Why? Because I went to church? No, because you place your faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. So we have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. I love Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad? So we have peace with God. We have the peace of God. But watch this. Even though those two things are true, when you come to know Jesus, when you follow Jesus, the, the peace that you have with others is going to be stirred up at times. It's not always going to go well. And Jesus is warning us here. Don't be ashamed. Don't be a shock. Don't, don't look at this like this can't be Christianity. This can't be true. I thought when I came to know Jesus, everybody would love me. That's not true. Jesus never said that. You'll be loved by all on account of my name. Is that what Jesus said? No, he said you'll be hated by all. That means... We're going to be at odds with people who are still at enmity with God. How should we treat those people? We should love them. We should pray for them. We should serve them. We should do all we can to display the life of Christ in them, in, in us, excuse me, hoping that they will see the life of Christ for them by faith. But if they don't, if they don't respond to our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they choose to hate us, choose to reject us, choose to push us away, all we can do is continue to love and to continue to care and to continue to give and do all that we can in Christ's name to show that their problem is with the Lord, not with us. Okay? Does that make sense? So Jesus says, I've come not to bring peace but a sword. Now that doesn't sound very kind, does it? Verse 34. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Wow, this is pretty weird stuff, isn't it? You notice in your Bible that's a quotation? Anybody see that? Well, that's, you know, maybe you can't even see the little fine print that shows you where that is. That's from the book of Micah, Old Testament prophet, 8th century uh, B.C. Uh, and Micah was prophesying during a time when the people of God were so rebellious, rebellious against God that it led to disastrous and unpredictable relational conflicts even between family members. Family members were turning each other in. They were doing treacherous things against each other. And watch this. Jesus comes along and he, said, he ties that, Micah's prophecy, to what he's doing in the world. He's basically shifting gears. He's saying, he's saying now you as my people are going to be turned against by all the world. And, and anyone that doesn't know me is going to think of you as an enemy. I bring division into every component of society, Jesus says. Now... Again, I know this is like, oh man, you're just like soaking this in this morning. You're going, really? Yes. And when you decide to live for Jesus, I know some of you right now are going, man, I got to get out of here. This is not for me. You know why Jesus would teach this way? Exactly for that reason. Because there are people who are going to say, I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be in any way uh, called out or, you know, abused in some way. I just want to get out. I want to be friends with everybody. 
And Jesus says, well, then I, I don't think you can follow me because I'm going to bring division everywhere you go. I'm going to bring it in your workplace. I'm going to bring it in your families. I'm going to bring it. And, and understand, Jesus is not saying that this is my joy. He's saying, because your allegiance to me is going to, is going to intersect with where other people think you should go and you can't go there. And they're not going to understand it. They're going to push you and pressure you and tell you that you're behind the times and our culture is doing that with us and we are just bombarded constantly. We have to decide as followers of Christ, are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow culture? Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to follow a friend or a boss or a, a family member? Whose attention are we trying to garner? Whose uh, acceptance do we care about the most? And so wrong assumptions can lead to disappointment. That's the whole point of what Jesus is about to say here. He says, don't suppose, do not suppose, don't have suppositions that are wrong. Which leads me to also say, verses 34 through 35, where he talks about, you know, the son against his father and mother against her, mother, mother against her daughter and so forth, that right assumptions in ministry can lead to reasonable expectations. So here's the deal. When you realize that Sometimes you're going to be at odds with those around you, even among your closest relationships. When you realize that and you embrace that, guess what? It's good. It's because you're not, you know, broadsided. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Anybody heard the, uh, heard the law, Murphy's Law? How many have heard of Murphy's Law? You might think that that's just sort of like a, a mis, you know, some kind of weird adage. That's a, it comes out of a true story. Uh, there was a guy by the name of uh, Stapp who was in, in the Air Force, 1949. They were going to measure the uh, deacceleration effects on the human body so that they could do studies on G-forces among astronauts and, and fighter pilots and all that. So this guy came up with a contraption that put him on a track, a, a little car in a tr on a track that was going to send him 610 miles an hour down this track and then stop him in 1.4 seconds. And then they were going to put on the body of this person, Stapp, they were going to put sensors, 16 sensors all over his body to measure the deacceleration effects on a human body. As close to death as they could probably bring without killing the guy. And so the guy barrels down the runway. This is a true story. Edwards Air Force Base, 1949. Stapp is going down, the, down that little track and it comes to the end. Boom, stops. His whole body turns to jello practically. And they come up and they're unstrapping him. He was just strapped into this thing. And they're unstrapping him and, and he's sort of mumbling, the sensors, what do they say? And Murphy, Murphy, Major Murphy, I think it was, Captain Murphy, who, Edward Murphy, who was responsible for the whole testing, as he walked up, he saw that the people who put the sensors on had put them on backwards. <laughs> Murphy's Law was born. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong at the worst possible moment. Or if there's two ways of doing something and one way leads to catastrophe, the one way will be the one way that people choose. Uh, Murphy's Law, and there's millions of corollaries and they're kind of humorous. I remember a guy by the name of Charlie Tremendous Jones who used to say, and I love this, he said, I, since I know that whatever can go wrong will go wrong, I plan on it going wrong. So when it goes wrong, that's my plan. <laughs> and then his corollary was, if it goes right, I work it in, okay? Now, that's not only humorous. It goes along with what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I want you to have a mindset that it's not going to go well because you're a follower of me. 
And if you have that mindset and you happen to be experiencing a lot of acceptance and people are just excited about your testimony and they want to know more about Jesus, hey, work it in. Because that's the exception to the rule. If we really live for Jesus, we're going to be in the crosshairs. We're going to be people, we're going to meet people and encounter people that hate the God that we serve. And Jesus is just said, simply telling us, plain out, get used to it. Get used to it. So, making the right assumptions is a great clarification in ministry. Number two, not only making the right assumptions, but committing to the right actions. Say the word actions. Now here in verse 37, Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he goes into a lot of, a lot of not worthies here. And you see this, see that little word worthy, it's mentioned over and over in this passage. Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to follow me, I've got to have my rightful place. And my rightful place is in the lordship of your life. Not on the outside, not as a little piece of the pie. You know, we as evangelical Christians are so good at compartmentalizing our lives and we put Jesus in this area of our life, we can put him in our finances, but we won't put him in our family or in our relationships or in our sexuality we just keep it all separate. This happens. And Jesus says, no, if, if I'm going to have your right, my rightful place, I'm going to be, watch this, I'm going to be number one in your life. That means everything in your life, your finances, your relationships, your job, your sexuality, your, your, uh, um, your, your church experience, everything needs to be under submission to me. I'm Lord of your life. And again, this is a, not a message that you're hearing a lot about these days, but I believe it's the gospel. I believe it's what Jesus calls us to. And he says, if you love any of that stuff more than me, if you're hiding behind anything, any identity, any uh, platform in your life that you see as superior or somehow aligned with Jesus when Scripture says it isn't, Jesus says you're playing a game. Because I came to be Lord. Colossians 1.18, he came to have first place in everything. To have the, literal in the Greek word, to have the supremacy over all things. Now, it is the grace of God alone that can give us the desire to do that because like I said, in and of ourselves, we don't want the Lordship of Christ in our lives. He must convert our hearts and make us brand new individuals and then we actually start wanting the things that we never wanted before. And it is, is it not the grace of God that would give us a desire to have him be Lord over everything in our lives, no matter what it is, that whatever we might be going through, we would submit our attitude, we would submit our feelings, we'd submit our will to the one who created us and knows us and made us into the people that he wants us to be. And so we would submit ourselves to him, giving him his rightful place. So who matters more in your life? And for most of us, if we're really honest, we, we all hold a pretty high position in our own lives. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we check in with others, but at the end of the day, it's what we want to do. That's really not the gospel. At the end of the day, it's what Jesus wants us to do and the way he wants us to live. And this is a beautiful thing about God's grace. Another thing that we find there, not only is it that our actions must display a love for Jesus that is greater than a love for anything or anyone else, but notice also our actions should display an unmatched level of sacrifice. Verses 38 and 39, uh, Jesus is inviting us to take our cross. What is the cross to Jesus? The cross is the emblem of obedience to the will of God, to the ultimate degree of sacrifice. 
who in Philippians it tells us, who being man did not, or who being God did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of a man, and humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, Paul writes. One of the most beautiful Christological passages in the New Testament. And so if Jesus took up his cross and he tells us to take up our cross, can we expect anything less than a life of, at times, mortification and a life, at times, of servile commitment to something that emotionally doesn't sit well with us? Jesus said in the garden, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. In his humanness, he would have loved to bypass the cross. But there was no way to bypass the cross in the will of God for our Savior Jesus Christ. And so now he comes to us and he says, if you're going to follow me, you must take up your cross. There will be moments in your life where, yes, your will, your desire, your emotions will want you to go this way. You must go this way because you are followers of me. Wow. Sacrifice. Paul writes in Romans 8, he says, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I'm always reminded of the story of Jim Elliott. Remember the famous missionary who went with four of his buddies down to Ecuador and served on that, in that little area of the Aka Indian tribe who were known for their cannibalistic ways. And they thought they were making traction. It's just an amazing story. I mean, it's an old story, but it's an amazing story. And Jim Elliott was known for having said, before he was martyred as a follower of Jesus, he was known for having said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. It's a beautiful statement. And it was only a few months after he had written those words in a little journal down there in Ecuador that he himself, along with his four friends, were martyred I think it was January 8th, 1956. And that story has been covered over and over and over and new stories just like it continue to pop up in our culture and in our news tabloids. And maybe we don't even hear or see the exact stories, but they all emulate one thing. There are followers of Jesus willing to go all the way to death because they realize to follow Jesus at times is going to put them at odds with the culture and with the world around them. And folks, we are so insulated in our culture. We are. And the Lord may lift the lid on that at some point. And I'm not saying, we're, we're not out looking for a fight. We're not saying, you know, who wants to oppose us? You know, that's, that's not it. That's not what Jesus said. We should be people of peace and love and care. But Jesus wants us to know, listen, if you feel like you're in the crosshairs and someone's rejecting you or someone's saying mean things about you because you're a Christ follower, not because you're a jerk, but because you're a Christ follower and you're going his way, not the world's way, and you're feeling in the, in, in the crosshairs of that, Jesus says, take courage. I've warned you ahead of time. Accept it as the new normal in your life. Okay. Um, all of this comes now. I, I said there was, I didn't say actually, but I, I'm going to say it now. This last paragraph shows some real beautiful sort of a, a, a release, sort of a sigh here because Jesus ends this very hard section all the way through Matthew 10, starting in the very first verse all the way to the end. Look at verse 40. He says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. What Jesus is saying here, if you're taking notes, is that ministry clarity requires sustaining the right affirmations. 
not just the right assumptions and not just the right um, actions, but the right affirmations. And what Jesus is saying here is that we can offset the opposition toward uh, toward, menace, toward those who oppose us by wa- watch this, by offering sincere reception of loving acceptance to those who are serving his purposes. Sincere reception. That means we should always be looking for a way to encourage the body of Christ. You know somebody going through it right now? You, you need to get them a note, send them an email, make a phone call, visit them. Our dear brothers and sisters that are around the world where we can't even reach them. I don't know how we do this, but we can stop and we can pray. We can say, God, thank you for these people that serve you so faithfully. And Jesus is saying, look, as hard as ministry is and as hard as following me is going to be, here's here's how you stay above all the, the mess. You learn how to affirm each other. You go out of your way to look for ways to say thank you, thank you, bless you. Recognizing what the Spirit of Christ is doing in individuals. Our affirmation, if you're taking notes, our affirmation should be both for prominent workers as well as lesser knowns. That means everybody gets encouraged. Um, I, I could tear this apart a little bit more but um, or unpack it for you. It's, it's hard to understand. Did you, what did Jesus mean when he talks about prophet, then a righteous man, and then a child? Is there a, you know, who are these people? What does this represent? We don't know. Some believe it's sort of a descending order of, of hierarchy, perhaps. The apostles, regular discipleship, and then maybe even people that are sort of marginalized in their faith. And I don't know. I can't really answer that. But I can tell you what this is t- telling me is that Jesus promises reward for any person, any person who will give their life to affirming others who are doing the work. Jesus said those who express solidarity with the people of God this way will certainly be rewarded. And I'm, half, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And your reward may not be in this life. Hello? It may not be till you stand before Jesus himself and you hear his words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So, the hard teaching section passes, but we're going to enter into some beautiful places in weeks to come. But let's not forget this focus. Let's not forget this teaching today. Are you following Jesus who is Lord? Has he given you life? Are you a friend of God or an enemy of God? Let's pray.